Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy, Marty Bent, here to introduce you to this week's episode with Leb Nelmenko, who's currently a resident at Chain Code Labs, uh, doing incredible things. We had a great conversation talking about his experience building an exchange, helping to build an exchange uh, in the Ukraine, uh, what he's working on on Erlay to help bring down bandwidth uh, strength, restraints on Bitcoin, as well as uh, his thoughts on the Erebus attack and bringing uh, Bitcoin to, to a bigger academic audience. Uh, incredible conversation. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Before we jump into it, got to give a shout out to the Cash App. You already know all about them. They're helping us stack sats. They're helping us save money. Uh, it's incredible what you can do on the app. Uh, you can buy, sell Bitcoin. You can move it off the app. Send it straight to Wasabi if you want. Mix up those UTXOs. Uh, get them off your off your track, if you will. On top of that, they have the Boost program. I used it yesterday at Whole Foods to save 5%. Uh, basically, what that is is a specialized debit card. It's accepted anywhere. The visa is accepted. You can personalize it, put your little signature, your your initials, whatever it may be, even a Bitcoin symbol if you want. Um, and you put the Boost on. You go to Whole Foods. You can go to Chick-fil-A and go to Chipotle. Uh, there's a bunch of other merchants, your local coffee shop. You use your boost card while the boost is enabled. And you're going to save a little bit of money there. Uh, use the code stacking sats. That's one word stacking sats. You're going to get five dollars, uh, and five dollars is going to go to Al's Lacrosse, uh, a charity helping boys and girls in Chicago learn leadership skills through the sport of lacrosse. Again, stacking sats. If you haven't downloaded Cash App already, go to your local app store and do that. I uh, don't know what you guys are waiting for. Get that five dollars stacking sats and enjoy this conversation with Gleb. Uh, an extremely intelligent human being working to make Bitcoin more robust and more secure. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here in the studio on a Tuesday night, on another night with another member of the Chain Code Labs crew. Uh, very excited about this uh, interview tonight. Uh, this man is working on some very uh, incredible software, incredible improvements to the Bitcoin protocol, particularly with uh, bandwidth, bandwidth efficiency and many other things. Uh, excited to dive into his history and how he got to where he is today. I'd like to introduce you freaks to Gleb Nalmanko. Gleb, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Yeah, let's talk about Bitcoin. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming by, man. You got an interesting story. So I think... Uh, I think we should just jump into it. You say you're from the Ukraine. You were saying you uh, you first got into Bitcoin. You you started an exchange uh, while living in the Ukraine. Well, we had a company which we've done all the things. I st- I joined it when there was just five people and we were building an ex- a local exchange, a local wallet. We did some like not really Bitcoin, like more wider financial stuff. But yeah, that was fun. It was not that not that early. It was 2015. But it was still like, mm, yeah, not not that common. So we had fun. What's the uh, the Bitcoin community in Ukraine like? Is it uh, is it pretty popular over there? Or uh, well, it it depends. It depends on the Bitcoin rate, I guess. Because one meetup we had in my hometown, which my hometown is Kharkiv, it's like 1.5 million people. And we had I think about 700 people at once. Holy crap! Yes, but that. W- that was when Bitcoin was 20 or what, you know, 20,000. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so yeah, so it, 
Unfortunately, it depends on that. So people lose interest when Bitcoin goes down. But generally, I think there is genuine interest because Bitcoin enables um, people to, I don't know, to accept payments from abroad, for example. So, yeah. Is that particularly useful in the Ukraine? A lot of people do freelance, and that's a way to make it easier. Uh, I, I know several people who do that. For example, my mom is getting paid in Bitcoin. She helps to translate software for American company into Russian and Ukrainian. So banks, using banks to pay her would take like several days. It would charge more than Bitcoin in fees. And the bank on receiving side would require to explain where the payment is coming from. And that's really hard because you have to translate it into Ukrainian to show that. So I just helped my mom to set up the Bitcoin wallet and ask the company to pay her. And yeah, so there are several examples like that. And I think those things just mm, drive Bitcoin in countries like Ukraine. Yeah. And so um, you said you, uh, you ended up interning at, at Blockstream. How did you, how did you get there? Uh, yeah, so in 2017, after starting doing masters at UBC in Vancouver, Canada, uh, I was doing some, I told my supervisor that I'm interested in Bitcoin and one of my supervisors and she was like, uh, oh, I was invited to this Bitcoin conference at Stanford, but I don't want to go. Do you want to go instead of me? And then I was, yeah, I was happy to get a free trip and to, to talk to famous people from Bitcoin community because I was, I was like involved, but I was not actively working at that time. And that's where I met guys from Blockstream and from Chaincode. And Blockstream at, this, at that point just invited me to do an internship in summer. And then, yeah, I went to Blockstream with a couple ideas and we, and that's essentially was the beginning of early. What, um, what were you studying uh, in your master's program? Uh, that was master's in computer science. We were focusing on distributed systems and security. So Bitcoin was like a natural thing to, to work on there. So is there something about um, like the transaction relay part of Bitcoin that really drew you to it and why you focused on Erlay or? Um, um, well, I, I went to that conference and then I was excited to contribute to Bitcoin research wise. And then I just started looking at the protocol and I found that um, there is a lot of inefficiency in transaction relay and somehow nobody uh, looked at it much since early days. Uh, there was minor improvement and uh, later I found out that Greg Maxwell had this high level idea which later merged into early. And so you wrote early with Brian Bishop, Greg Maxwell, Peter Wolla, um, and a few others, right? So I love Brian, he's awesome, but he was not involved in early. Uh, yeah, so this was Greg, Peter, and two of my supervisors from you. Oh yes, yes, Brian. Brian, um, he he shared the the early paper and the the Bitcoin mailing list, and I shared that on Twitter. That's what I'm thinking of that for. Yeah. Yes. Sorry for that for that uh, slip up there. Um, but yeah, it's so early. It seems like a pretty cool proposal that would do drastic things for for bandwidth efficiency. Like I'm looking at the chart right now. Right now, like Bitcoin flood network, uh, like depending on how many peers you're connected to, you're gonna have a bandwidth per month and gigabytes. And if you're connected to 32, this is the simulations you guys did, connected to 32 peers, you're gonna consume 
uh, 17.3 gigs in the Bitcoin flood uh, transaction model, and then Erlay that gets dropped to minus one gigabyte. How how is that possible? Uh, minus what? What? Point nine four. Yeah. 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 Z zero point nine four gigabyte with Erlang. Yeah. Uh, Less yes, than one. So so this is uh, particularly important in. It's probably not a big deal in the U.S. where bandwidth is unlimited. Even though you guys probably don't know, but most of the providers have a cap on bandwidth even in states. But you just don't know about it because you never reach it. But a lot of providers still have a like 500 gig cap in the U.S. and in Asia and Africa and other countries, it's much worse. You can you can look up like plans on internet in Africa and basically they suppose that a household plan has a cap of 30 gig. So imagine you're now spending half of that just to relay transactions and like you're spending, you cannot watch movies because of Bitcoin. And yeah, so, so that's why I think there is value. And we want uh, people who use Bitcoin as a payment system to be available to run Node at home because running a node is the most secure way to use bitcoins for several reasons. Uh, also, running more nodes contributes to the security of the network in general. Yeah, so that's why this is cool. And the second cool part about Erlay is that it allows to increase the connectivity for free. Currently, your node makes eight connections to nodes in the network, but it is better to create more. So for example, if you connect to 16 instead of 8 today, your bandwidth will go two times up. And with Erlay, it remains, the cost remains the same due to the uh, mini-sketch library and how we use it. Yeah, so let's, let's jump into that. Like, how do you guys create these, these efficiencies? Because um, they're pretty drastic. Like, it's crazy how, how big of a reduction in, in bandwidth usage that is. Yeah, totally. So uh, we use this idea called set reconciliation to efficiently exchange information about transactions. Instead of relaying, uh, announcing transactions right away to all my peers, I will relay them to a small subset of peers and with the rest of the peers, I'll just efficiently find out what they're missing from me and uh, what I'm missing from them through using mathematical uh, as aspects. Uh, Process of elimination almost? Or? Uh, well, so I'll, I'll compute a, a, a sketch, a compressed representation of my transactions, uh, which I was going to send to you, and I'll request a sketch from you, and based on those two really compressed things, I can very efficiently find what's the difference. So that would allow to save a lot of bandwidth, which uh, used to be redundant before. So redundancy is a good, generally good property in distributed systems because it allows uh, security. It allows not relaying, relying on a, on one peer in the network, for example. But it comes with a cost. It comes with bandwidth cost. And with Erlay, we preserve the same redundancy, but just make it more efficient due to the Minisketch library which we built. And so how does Minisketch, your the, your particular library, make it more uh, more efficient? Um, this is stuff from an uh, area called information theory. In computer science, information theory discusses 
how to uh, deliver the some data with the least overhead so as as efficiently as possible and that's we're using um, polynomials uh, and yeah let, let's 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 not talk about math i think yeah you don't have to get too, too deep much. into it yeah. but essentially there's math behind this this library that's able to condense the information and yes but the the cool trick here is that um if the difference in our sets is let's say two elements so there are two transactions um, I'm missing from you, then no matter how big is the set, we can find this difference in the just by sending just to the amount, the amount of data which is equal to these two elements, which is, it's very hard to do better than that. It's almost not possible. Yeah. So yeah. we are approaching this theoretical bound of like, it's like, almost optimal at this point. No, it's crazy how how heady the, the the math behind the cryptography gets when you when you dig deep into this stuff and Oh yeah, totally. It's it's technically not even cryptography. Crypto yeah. Yeah, so it it's it not? was it was even cooler when you're finding another way to apply math. Because yeah, that's like that's what I find cool about research. You get to do unexpected things to to achieve the goal. And the goal is quite practical, right? We're solving the bandwidth issues and to slightly improve the security of the network yeah and so the the only trade-off with early is the uh latency of transaction relay it goes up a couple seconds 2.6 seconds i believe right um yeah so it, it goes up from two seconds to four seconds or something like that depends on the configuration mm -hmm. and it's so yeah so it's very important to clarify this this is absolutely no big deal because effectively transaction relay latency, which has nothing, almost nothing to do with the block relay, has only two implications. First, when submitting a transaction to your friend, you will see it at his phone with two seconds delay, which is like, I don't think it's important. It's like, it used to take two, but now it will take at most four. And second implication, it's, it affects, um, so there is this property of uh, the Bitcoin network called orphan rate. Orphan rate is the amount of blocks which uh, don't become the part of the chain, uh, valid blocks. So sometimes miners mine a valid block, but because of the concurrent valid block, only one of them will become the main, the part of the chain. And transaction relay, um, the increase in latency might affect that, but in early, even though the latency goes up, it's even better for orphan rate. So orphan rate goes down due to the uh, specific details in the of the protocol. You can look up in the paper if you're interested in more details. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's crazy. So it's a it's a worthwhile trade off at the end of the day. Totally, I think if the only negative implication is extra two seconds for user experience, while block confirmation time is ten minutes. It, it, sh it should not be a big deal at all while this, like, the benefit is huge. Yeah, two seconds of waiting so that uh, majority of the world can, can successfully run a full node is, is probably worth it. Yes, and two seconds is really worst case. It's usually faster. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. and so right now it's only a paper. You guys have a, a BIP in the work works. Is that uh, true? And, like, so how, how do you imagine this getting implemented in the protocol? And... Uh, what would be including in a BIP if you 
when it is proposed. Yeah. So I'm we're writing a bib. Bib is almost done at this point. I would say we decided to make bib really uh, focused on network messages. So just explaining who sends what, uh, the format of messages, what to include there, and all the protocol level specifics, like how often to reconcile, is is not going to be there. It's going to be in the paper and alternative mm, imp implementations, for example, might change the parameters. We just have recommendations for that. Uh, yeah, so it, it turned out to be fairly straightforward and I think understandable, probably as as simple as mm, a bit on compact blocks written by Matt Karala. And yeah, I think, I think we'll get it uh, uh, reviewed and making implementations really soon. There's, is there a software hard fork? Or obviously not a hard fork, a uh, um, soft no, fork? Or no, no nothing, nothing really required. It's yeah. fully, it will be fully compatible with uh, existing software because mm -hmm. for old nodes, you'll just use the existing protocol and you'll still get a good benefit. Probably not, not full bandwidth savings until everybody updates, but the benefit is still substantial. And it is, it is also compatible, compatible with Dandelion, the peer-to-peer -peer proposal on improving the anonymity of transactions. So yeah, so we might, it, it's nice that protocol naturally plays well with other things and is backward compatible. Somebody try to get that a package deal or just uh, uh, highlight that it would be compatible with Dandelion? Uh, mm, well, it would be cool if we include both of things at the same time, but uh, Dandelion development is, I think it's a bit harder mm -hmm. because Bitcoin, mm, they, we, we, we take care about details. So for example, we cannot just abandon uh, working with um, orphan transactions mm -hmm. where uh, you try to, not orphan, where you try to relay and confirm transactions chained at the same, at the same time. Uh, so then the line, has challenges there. Okay. And, and, but what would be the benefits of Dandelion if that uh, were to be implemented? Uh, what are the perceived no, benefits? No, no. So if we if we implement Dandelion, it will be much harder to spy on the network. Mm -hmm. So right now, I imagine uh, spyware companies run Bitcoin nodes to monitor the traffic and find who sends which transactions okay. and link transactions to IP addresses. So Dandelion is a big deal in mitigating those guys and making it much more expensive for them to spy. How how does it do that? Um, so. The, the assumption spies do is that, well, the simplest assumption, if they connect to everybody in the network, the first node to announce a transaction to them will be the source of the transaction. Because that's, yeah, that's, if you think the, f the first node having the transaction is probably the origin. That's the assumption they make. So Dandelion creates a, instead of flooding the transaction right away, it first, uh, sending a transaction just through one link in the network containing on average 10 nodes so that it's really obscured and 
SPI would not distinguish the origin of the transaction. Sort of like a coin join for transaction sending out. Uh, uh, you can think of it that way. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, yeah. It seems like it's necessary, right? And that's actually what you were talking about uh, when we were walking up here, what you were working on earlier today of uh, like a, trying to figure out a problem with a bunch of nodes running in cloud servers, which could be easily traceable or easily sort identifiable. Of. So, yeah. So, earlier I was talking about the... So, sometimes... I switched from research to really hands-on writing code for Bitcoin, and that's what's going on now. I decided to take a little break from early, and uh, I, I'm acting on the paper was published a week ago or so. It's it's slightly different. It it's focused on an eclipse attack where. Um, so, right now. The diversity of providers for Bitcoin nodes is sort of low. I just measured that a quarter of nodes, of public nodes, are running under just four or three ASN providers. It's Amazon, DigitalOcean, and some third entity. Uh, and because of that, if we corrupt just those three entities, like, for example, government, like makes a deal with them, then the network is in danger. And the changes I'm, we're planning to make is to diversify the connections so that there are, we make less connections to Amazon nodes, for example. Did you say one of the, the top three providers is unknown? Uh, some third entity, I just looked it up and uh, it didn't, I, I don't know what is that, it's some, some German association. Uh. Uh, yeah. I thought I thought it was like a dark pool. You don't know, like his. Uh, maybe I, I don't really know, but yeah. yeah. Um, and so you're trying to prevent eclipse attacks. An eclipse attack is when when, uh, when another node feeds you. Bad. Yeah. So so an eclipse attack is uh, if all of your connections so are compromised. Mm -hmm. For example, if all of your connections are Amazon nodes, then. It's just, it just requires corrupting Amazon to attack you, to feed you the fake blockchain or double spend you. So send you transactions and pretend that they paid you, but uh, they would spend them on the real chain. Yeah, and so you're trying to make it so nodes that are spun up within each provider are not connected to too many other nodes within that provider. Um, so that... Not, not really to the same, we're just uh, we will make it so that you connect to Amazon at most once. Yes. Okay. Out of your eight connections and okay. to DigitalOcean at most once. That, that's why in that case it would require corrupting eight providers, mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah, so diversify the risk, mm -hmm. make sure. Yeah. No, that's uh, no, it's crazy. It's like things like that that people don't think about. And yeah, totally. We got we to... Gotta I'm glad that there is more and more research on peer-to-peer -peer layer on Bitcoin. There was a really cool paper on uh, inferring the topology of Zcash network. So Zcash network, is, it turned out to be just 300 of nodes. The block relay there is very slow because they don't have compact blocks. And because of that, inferring the topology and finding out who connects to who is very easy. And, and once you do that, uh, it's much easier to split the network. It's much easier to find the origin of the transaction. So whatever zero-knowledge stuff you're doing doesn't really matter because <laughs> everybody can find which IPs transactions sent from. I haven't heard anything about this. There's only, there's only been 300 nodes running Zcash? Uh, 
according to that research yeah, yeah. well there are mm, maybe uh, more nodes behind firewalls but I'm, I, don't, I don't think so yeah yeah probably not likely if there's only so in Bitcoin there are 10,000 public nodes and in Zcash it turns out to be 300 <laughs> that's pretty crazy and uh, and then and then Luke Dash Jr.'s uh, estimate was that like 60,000 non-listening nodes or something like that Yes, yes, yeah. that's true. And what is so? And can we uh, go over like what a non-listening node is and, and why that's not a uh, not a uh, counted in like the the ten thousand nodes that we'll see on like CoinDance or something like that? Uh, yeah. So non-listening nodes are running. If you if you start a node at home, you usually have a router which protect you protects you from outside world. So you, it allows only traffic to go outside of your home, but not inside. Uh, well, in, in simple words. Yeah, th that's why those nodes are not reachable. You cannot find them. They only can find you, essentially. Yeah. Are they, yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's there, there are different trade-offs. So for example, for miners or for exchanges, we still don't really know what is better. I'm actually, very curious about your strategies of miners and exchanges. So if you're doing that and you have some insights, please please reach out to us because uh, there are like different trade-offs. So for example, public node is better connected, so it's harder to analyze its traffic. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> since it is possible to connect to it, if an attacker really targets a node and knows that that's an exchange, it can yeah it can look after it yeah it's, yeah it's not super clear no yeah it can attack it and hone in on it and and try to figure out a way to to get through the cracks and what would the the uh benefits of being a non-listening node for exchanges be um nobody nobody can connect to you so it's 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 much harder for example to shut your node down because right now there are botnets which just you can hire them for I don't know, $1 an hour and effectively just kill the node on the network. So ideally, perhaps every exchange runs couple private nodes and couple public nodes uh, to, to obscure traffic, to make it harder to kill a node, so, yeah. What was, uh, what was your strategy when you guys were, were building the, the uh, exchange in Ukraine? Uh, we, just, we just took basic like uh, IT security strategies, which I shouldn't probably talk about, because okay, yeah. that's like the yeah. how security <laughs> works sometimes. Yeah. No. But yeah, so I think more research here is important to 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 get these best practices of running a node for an exchange, for example. That's why we got things like Bitcoin Autech out there leading the way. Oh yeah, totally. That's very valuable. Yeah, that's the I think. Very valuable. That's what I uh, actually had had that up to. Let me see if I can pull it up here real quickly. I don't know if I have it right in front of me. I don't. Mm -hmm. But they, the, uh, Optech came out with that cool uh, cross graph of like showing wallets. Exchange, yeah, wallets and exchanges. Um, it was like Beck32 and Segwit ready and stuff like that. And it's a good uh, matrix to go check out to, to know which exchanges are on top of things and which are. And it's a, Interesting to see which uh, providers are are on top of their stuff, um, but it's something like 
it really showed like in 2017, these exchanges not being ready infrastructurally, like hindered the network network, right? Like, uh, like December 2017, uh, all the exchanges going down, uh, people basically couldn't get access to the exchanges, let alone buy and sell Bitcoin or move it to their own wallets. And we had the fees go up and it was a great case study in uh, maybe the industry, quote unquote, of people building on top of Bitcoin was not prepared to uh, be as efficient as possible with this network. I'm not sure it went down for those reasons. Maybe it went down because they wanted to make more money. (laughs) Yeah, I really don't know. I have no idea why those guys are not implementing SegWit addresses or all those things. It's like, it's not that much effort. It's, yeah, I just beyond my understanding. <laughs> well, my my thesis is for some of them at least, like maybe they don't know that they need to know and like maybe they just are stumbled into their success to a certain extent. Another thing is, yeah, they, they I don't understand how those huge businesses on top of Bitcoin uh, don't contribute to, to the ecosystem um, except just running their exchange yeah i oh, haven't we gotta give a shout out to uh square and cash app today they just uh, oh yeah totally they, they are got you are you sad to lose matt Corrala from the chain code offices so i honestly think that matt is one of the best per- people to start building a bitcoin focused team like you basically cannot find anyone else with that experience and open-mindedness and i don't know friendliness uh so uh, yeah, so that's really cool. And even though we will, we, we're not gonna lose Matt because it's like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is <laughs> right. international and whatever worldwide. Uh, he will be always available, I'm sure. But but having one more team, which is focused on Bitcoin, is really cool. And I think Matt and Steve will build a really cool project. Yeah, no, shout out to Matt. Matt is one of the most. Uh tenured guest on tales from the crypt he's been back a few times <laughs> and we will speak to him again uh, about his transition to uh square crypto but i completely agree like if you're gonna have somebody come anchor it's he somebody who's been writing code for bitcoin since he was uh in college and right. been to Blockstream, been to chain code and that's the interesting about him now he's going to square crypto like he seems like he's just like hopping from place to place spreading his wings a little further and then and then spreading the Bitcoin love to a new company. Yeah, I think everybody understand that there is no contention, contention there is no conspiracy. It's just how, <laughs> how, how Bitcoin works, right? It's like nobody competes on contributing to Bitcoin core. It's, we're all working together. Yeah, but it's such a, it's such a weird thing for, the, for a lot of uh, like incumbent companies, profit-driven companies in particular, mm-hmm. to come to grips with and then put their guard down and, and cooperate with each other. Like the perfect example is like the consortium of private, uh, like distributed ledger technology consortium, like R3 and all that stuff. Like, yeah. I think Bitcoin is very different. Yeah. It sense. came to be that like JP Morgan and <laughs> Deutsche Bank and all those banks didn't want to work together and couldn't cooperate at the end of the day. And that's the beauty of Bitcoin. Like it is open source and if everybody's benefiting from it and that's and like, I think we were saying earlier, like it makes sense that like you would contribute to this cause it's going to make your, underlying investment in the token Bitcoin more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're getting much better there. There is MIT digital currency initiative, Blockstream, chain code. Now there is square crypto, uh, Bitmax supported Fanquake, right? Mm-hmm. I hope there are more companies like, yeah, I think Bitmax is like supporting devs through MIT. 
or something like that. Or, yeah, whatever. But but anyway, I'm saying that we're getting better at finding core development. I hope we'll get even better because we're still, I think, lacking more review, more contribution contributions. I hope we'll have more researchers from academia interested. And yeah, I'm 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 doing my best to to achieve. Well, that's a good segue into. Uh, what you're doing in November and you're presenting at the ACM conference on computer and communication security. And you were tweeting that you're very excited to get to that conference in particular to try to uh, maybe convert some of those security uh, researchers to think about Bitcoin. Oh yeah, totally. So this is like top three security conferences in the world. So it's just like the basically best people who invented RSA and ECDSA and all those fancy names we're using now in Bitcoin. And I think we already know some folks, like for example, Tor developers are always around with the Bitcoin community and we see them from time to time. But I think Bitcoin still still lacking a bit of legitimacy from the point of peer review. Uh, for example, yeah, I think, I think our like Blockstream's work on on signatures, uh, it is. I think it is super. It 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 would be st super interesting for that community, but it just it's it's not known enough. And talking at the conferences is helps to reach out to the to the well experienced like top security minds. Yeah, you think may this this crowd would be very interested in Bitcoin because it's such a fascinating like new technology. What what are most of these researchers working on at the moment, and what are they focused on, like creating new cryptography curves and stuff like that, or? Uh, well, signature there, curves. There was just there was just another conference going on a couple of days ago. It's Usenix Security, and I was looking at the papers, and there is. Uh, Really similar stuff. So I haven't got, I haven't got a couple ideas from there. There is a, there was a paper about how some researchers decided to measure how easy it to to attack a Tor network, to to hire botnets to spam Tor nodes and essentially put the network down. And I just became curious. Okay, so can we apply that to Bitcoin? How much would it be to attack the public infrastructure in Bitcoin? Because it's essential. We're very, very similar. Um, yeah. So that's perhaps I will start looking at it once I finish my current tiny, tiny thing about uh, diversifying the providers. So that's a good example of what researchers are looking at. Yeah. And um, now the uh, the coexistence of Bitcoin and Tor is pretty fascinating right because uh especially bitcoin relying on tor especially for people running nodes in particular countries and trying to run lightning nodes and stuff like that so a lot of people uh have been trying to encourage bitcoiners to run tor nodes as well to help support that network because we may as big as the bitcoin network rely on that pretty heavily in the future is that a correct assumption uh, um it's it's a bit more complicated because tor is uh, not always as good as we think it is, mm -hmm. but generally, yes. I think I think Tor is definitely it's 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 not worse than regular, and it is often better. That's why there is certainly value in in running under Tor. Yeah, 
Um, do you think it's necessary though in the long run to to evade like state uh, co option uh, to to be able to run this stuff through tour? Uh, it's good to have it around. It's good to have support because even if we will decide that okay, so tour is probably not that good. If people want to use tour, we should. I think we should let them do it. That's why having this infrastructure available is is important for Bitcoin. Yeah. And um, do you have you seen the uh, the interest into Bitcoin research grow at all? Do you think it's been growing steadily, not fast enough? Um, do you think it just needs to grow faster because we need to scale this network out faster? Or um, um, well, I look at it as a you know it's like a free market. If people are interested, they they will contribute. So. We probably should, there is, in mid-October, there is a research summit at MIT where a couple of academics, or perhaps several dozens, will get together and figure out where Bitcoin research is going to. So if you're doing research and interested in contributing to Bitcoin, come and, and talk to us. We have ideas for you to contribute, like just interesting areas which were not really uh worked on before for example well like research on peer-to-peer -peer stuff was when torrent was invented in 90s and then once we solved most of the problems with torrent it all went down because nobody really cared anymore and then bitcoin is the new application and there is a lot of room to contribute to measure i don't know proof of work efficiency and not like how how well it works for example uh, the selfish mining attack. It's really cool to show that even if you don't own half of the mining hash power, you still can attack the network. So those things, uh, economic aspects, future, what's going to happen when we're out of subsidy and now miners receive only fees. Peer-to-peer -peer cryptography, like there is a lot of room. We're trying to bring more attention and it, 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 it goes we're doing it, I think, quite well. No, it's <laughs> crazy because there's so many facets that make Bitcoin work, right? It's yeah. an incentive system, so it's economic, and like, like trying to figure out can it can it last without uh, without an emissions tail is a, is a question that a lot of people are still positing and, and uncertain of. Um, um, I come from like that's that's where I come from is like the economics background. I'm I'm confident that a fee market will develop just simply because the demand for a uh, peer-to-peer distributed censorship-resistant transactions will be there in the future, especially uh, when you take into consideration the way the world's going. But it's it's not entirely clear for me now because what what do you mean by develop? If uh, if Bitcoin is still one megabyte blocks and we are out of subsidy, then how much transactions would cost? Like one hundred dollars or something to 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 have the same reward or Will the reward goes down? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think that's like a very interesting. Well, that's where, yeah, that's something that we're going to have to figure out and, and see how the limitations of this network really, uh, what they allow us to do. And uh, I'm sort of partial towards how Finney's vision of Bitcoin banks and think of the protocol layer as a huge settlement layer that enables even uh, a little less trustless, but more trustless than uh, 
the incumbent system that we're that we grew up with mm-hmm. um and that that sort of makes sense to me but um again who knows like that's that's the way i see it and i can see it developing that way and, and that makes sense to me at least yeah i think lightning is a big hope i'm a yeah. big fan i'm not super like knowledgeable about it i, st- I still I'm, I'm i'm trying to learn uh, but yeah i i hope it helps us to to, to figure out the few market to that's like that's how crazy it is because i've talked to people on this podcast in the past and like who are very like um <clears throat> very engaged and building on lightning and even they're like we need more researchers like we need we need help to figure out like channel routing like this is like a lot of routing issues on that network in particular you need like routing experts from telecoms industry to come in and help with like the routing of the the lightning network in particular i think they're doing fine i think yeah oh yeah (laughs) up to this point too but like that's the thing though there's like there's so much potential and there's so much people want to do with it it's like ah yeah totally and the call the call to arms if you will that's why it is like i I know we're talking about like the need for researchers but i think slowly but surely like luckily chain code and Blockstream were there to pave the way in mit and now Square Crypto is huge, I think, because you have like a huge publicly traded company here mm-hmm. in the States being like, all right, we're putting our, our muscle behind Bitcoin. This is something we're socially signaling that this is something we think is going to be around. If you're not investing in it, you're an idiot. And that'll just scare other companies into doing the <laughs> same. Like, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Ameritrade comes out. Actually, that's who was, because I thought it was weird that BitMEX would support MIT since they're based out of the Shikellis. I think it was Ameritrade that was supporting MIT devs. Yeah, so I, I don't yeah. know the the background. I just, yeah. I just know. No, that. but I just think naturally, like social pressures mm-hmm. will start to come in for these larger corporations that are interacting with Bitcoin or or plan to interact with Bitcoin, and it makes sense, right? If you're if you're gonna hatch your your business plan onto Bitcoin in any any way, shape, or form, like uh, to to contribute to the the bolstering of that system and making it more robust and more valuable at the end of the day just makes complete sense for yeah i think even at least one exchange one of big exchanges uh dedicated one developer even not to contribute but just to review code and act big commits that that would be already a big deal just to hang on bitcoinax.com all day (laughs) um bitcoinax.com given to us by Pierre Rochard if you're ever looking to see what uh what is popular uh in the Bitcoin repository and what's currently being being talked about and reviewed that's where you should go and but so the whole concept of like code review and Bitcoin in particular seems daunting for for a lot of people like I know uh a lot of people may seem um uh apprehensive to to put put their opinion out there because again this is uh uh critical code that that like the future of uh financial privacy may depend on and a lot of like what would you recommend to people uh who may be a little bit apprehensive and how should they approach uh reviewing this stuff and interacting with so i think i think the best way is to get somebody to get to know somebody in person go to one of the conferences at meetup because uh guys from blockstream go to san francisco bitcoin meetup whatever core development or what is it called we have bit devs at chain code and in boston there is now bitcoin meetup where mit guys are involved or we have we always have conferences around the world like scale in bitcoin advancing or whatever advancing bitcoin and all those so just come and 
say hi to Bitcoin core developers. And once you understand how friendly are those people and welcoming and always willing to share their knowledge, uh, I think you'll, you'll feel better and you'll feel more confident. So that's what happened to me. Before going to scale in 2017, I thought that Bitcoin community is sort of toxic. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, I was, I was reading Peter Todd's Twitter and it felt like it's like scary. I shouldn't go there. But then like, I, it, it changed a lot in person. And I think everybody's super friendly at this point. No, yeah, that's what you'll come to find. Um, everybody's a little bit more vitriolic on Twitter than they are in real life. And the rumors of, of Bitcoiners being evil right-wingers looking to take over the world <laughs> is uh is very far from the truth it's yeah. a bunch of from my experience just a bunch of people are excited by a quasi alien technology that they feel could change the world and they feel driven to work on it like do you feel driven to work on bitcoin in particular um, um can you like do you feel like like a responsibility to work on bitcoin as opposed to other things like you go work on other distributed systems like maybe like tour or something like that what ab what about bitcoin well it, it's it's yeah it's it's nice to feel that you're doing something something good mm -hmm. but i think genuine interest drives me more like this area which has a lot of room to contribute and unsolved problems and yeah so I, it's hard to tell me which aspect is is larger yeah but, but you see, like, uh, like an uh, open frontier in front of you. You can roll up your sleeves and get, like, a bunch of cool stuff done. Yeah, and it's much better when once you actually realize that it is used by people and it's enables something better than we have today. It's, like, people can send transactions abroad with, within minutes. And, yeah, yeah, this is super cool. Um, no, thank you for deciding to work on Bitcoin. You uh, proposed some pretty dope shit, so... I'm I'm glad that there are now companies and entities which can support our work. It it was very different in the early days, I think. So now, yeah, uh, I encourage more people to to join us in in our contributions. Yeah, join us. <laughs> no, and it's like I've been interviewing uh, the the residents of the summer uh, program at Chain Code over the last couple of weeks and seeing how invigorated they are, they have been just to be able to meet for the last six weeks, whatever it's been. Um, and cause I remember the first night they came, it was bit devs like two months ago mm -hmm. and we got, they were all out to drinks after the bit devs meet up and you could see like the, the jovialness of, 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 uh, them just meeting for the first time. And like, you know, they seemed a little nervous about what was to come and speaking with them like four to five months in, it's like, it seems like the, the you guys are chain codes running a very uh very good program and these people seem invigorated and they're seem like they they've actually accomplished stuff in the last five weeks and it's because they've been able to bounce ideas off each other and and build off each other which just being able to create that environment is like you said uh uh we need more of that yes totally i think those guys will be the future part of our future of building bitcoin yeah um no, it's, uh, it feels like, again, another thing I think is like the decade mark is huge too. Like people see that Bitcoin has been around for 10 years and that just being saying that like one decade, just in people's mind, just humans, like round numbers, like, ah, oh, 10 years, that's a, that's a long time. Like maybe this thing isn't going away. It's, it, it, it's, it's hard for me to justify that because 
honestly, I think even if Bitcoin was one year, for me, it would still be huge. It would be like us by just what it does. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's just beautiful. The, the whole proof of work thing, the, the way that it actually works and people are running nodes and signing transactions with all those different ways today. Somebody uses hardware wallets. Somebody uses mobile Android things and I don't know. Well, that was cool about what uh, Peter, about what SIPA dropped today with Miniscript. Like that's going to enable like wallet developers to create way more complex transaction schemes, which therefore make it a bit harder to get out of your Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, and make make it much easier. Yeah, I think I think there is big value there because wallets. I think wallets should do better at integrating all the features we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but but it's been hard, right? Because interacting with Bitcoin scripts isn't easy. Yeah, certainly. So th- this is very valuable having having Miniscript around. So how would you describe Miniscript uh, from your point of view? Uh, Miniscript is a much easier way to express uh, uh, the way you want to construct a transaction. So for example, if you have some complicated multisig where one of the signatures should work all together with time lock. So for example, uh, I can use this key, but only in five years. And uh, before Miniscript, uh, a developer would have to mess around with Bitcoin script, which is very low level stack based language. And it's very easy to mess up and yeah. And now, now, now it's much simpler. Uh, they developed a, an, an expressive language, which is, which compiles to Bitcoin script. Yeah. And it's, and it's not, it doesn't need any upgrade or anything. Bitcoin doesn't need any upgrade for it, right? You can just compile mini script on top of Bitcoin yeah, I right think, now. I think it works with Bitcoin today. Yeah. Um, which is really cool. And that's crazy. And again, that's the other. So are you happy with the, the, where Bitcoin is today from, a uh, from an engineering perspective? Uh, like, do you think it's robust enough? Do you think, uh, do you think we definitely need things like store and tap root to survive into perpetuity? Uh, are they good to haves, but not need to haves things like that? Um, it's, it's very hard for me to justify. I think there is, um, uh, it's uh, so at one point I think Bitcoin is under underrepresented like among people. Not enough people are using Bitcoin. We are probably the way we have Bitcoin today is good enough to serve more people, which is not necessarily the case for Lightning because I know Lightning developers are always no, it's too early, don't use this yet. With Bitcoin, I think we are a bit ahead. It doesn't mean that we should stop. Attacks on Bitcoin are still possible. Like attacks on the peer-to-peer layer I'm working on is possible, but I'm always saying that five years ago, attacking a Bitcoin peer-to-peer network was $10,000. Today, it's probably $100,000. And we want to get to the point where it is billions of dollars or something. Mm-hmm. So there is always room. We're, we're doing quite well for now, I think. Yeah. yeah. No, and so where do you see Bitcoin progressing in the future and like how do you see it changing humanity like do you do you feel driven to this because because of the like being from the ukraine do you think um yeah so i think i think bitcoin today 
is already very well and it, it is already an important technology. It allows, it allows people to receive transactions within minutes. It's like, if, if it, even if it doesn't become a world payment system, I think it's, it's like it has a huge value today. It's probably under, undervalued by most of the people, <laughs> I think, because I'm much more excited about Bitcoin even today, and I'm not thinking much about the future. If, I don't know, if 1% of people in the world are using Bitcoin, that's a huge success. We're a bit quite not there yet. <laughs> Definitely not there yet, <laughs> but. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm totally not worried. And it, it honestly, serving like entire world is, is very challenging. It's not exactly clear for me how it work, will work with proof of work and the whole energy thing. I know right now all the stuff about Bitcoin consumes energy of Denmark is like FUD and it's actually like, it, it's fun. There was an article which explained that all that research is created by one person citing himself all the time about how bad is proof of work. Uh, but I'm not sure what, what's gonna happen if everybody starts using Bitcoin. Is it actually gonna be bad or not? So I was just wanted to say that I'm very satisfied with what Bitcoin already accomplished. Yeah. No, I think I think I'm a I'm one of the believers that proof of work is going to make us uh, one of the most energy efficient civilizations that's ever lived. Because I I've actually seen it firsthand uh, here in the states in particular in oil fields that are flaring natural gas. Uh, like these natural gas fields, they're very dirty to begin with, but uh, they have a problem where they can't transport the energy from the the field in the middle of nowhere to the economic hubs where people are actually using the energy. So they just have to flare it into the atmosphere, which is a lot worse for the environment. So I've seen setups and they're like upstream data's got, uh, I've seen s setups similar to what upstream data is doing with their own projects, but you go instead of just leaking that gas in the atmosphere, which is way worse, you cap it, you bring Bitcoin miners to the place so you don't have to transport the energy. They just use it on site and yeah, you, you, have, you have millions of oil fields leaking all this stuff into the atmosphere and just wasting it. And Bitcoin finally provides incentive to go cap and use that. And then on top of that, like it also incentivizes renewable uh, uh, energy uh, innovation and production, right? Yeah, I, I wish it was uh, true. And I think what you explained about renew, like the energy in difficult locations is totally true. I'm just slightly worried with the fact that, uh, so right now it costs $100,000 to rewrite a block, for example. Of course, uh, incentive is in Bitcoin are aligned in that way. It's always better for an attacker to uh, mine on, on the real chain and not attack. But, mm, so if, imagine today, everybody starts using Bitcoin. Uh, transactions are probably much, have much more value. Mm -hmm. And then people are moving around like millions of dollars per block. So the, the reward should be as big as people are moving to increase the cost of an attack. And that would drive miners spending uh, 
more and more energy. So probably not renewables might not be enough. Um, no, it's, it's I think I think there's plenty, plenty of untapped renewable. Like that's what I think. It's going to make <laughs> us go find all that. There and I, and again, like there is a lot of open. Uh, there's a lot of oil fields on the planet, and they a lot of them are wasting that energy. So like, yeah, you're, I think it makes sense. I think we have a lot of runway before, but you're also going to have people in cities just like plugging in miners to get Bitcoin as well, but that'll drive up energy prices. And then you have economics coming to play. Like if it does, if it ever does get to a point where um, like too many people are consuming energy for Bitcoin, they're going to get priced out eventually. I, I really hope so. I'm just, I, I, I used to be a very pro free market and pro capitalist, but then I realized that it's probably more difficult for me because uh, imagine a beautiful hike so if there was no regulation at all there will be a Starbucks shop at, at the end of every hike ruining, be terrible. The, ruining the view and that's why I think I'm, I'm, I'm a bit afraid of where this uncontrolled mining might lead us I, 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 and, and free market well you also have to think uh, ASIC commodification comes into play too, right? Um, so if the price to produce the ASICs is driven down considerably as well, and therefore the price to acquire them. Um, you have less capital cost there, therefore um, less need to expend as much energy. Uh, I or don't see how the ASIC part plays in the whole equation of mining, but yeah, I got to, I got to learn more. <laughs> no, I was... Yeah, I... Not that it would make them consume less energy, but you have like a, yeah. I think it, it evens out. Yeah, so what's your biggest worry that um, it does even out? You're right. Um, what's your biggest worry that this miners get, or uh, Bitcoin uh, becomes too big of a frenzy? No, I'm, I'm actually more worried that transaction he fees will go up and will end up having the same financial system as we used to have with custodials and all that. Mm -hmm. So hopefully Lightning will work here well to yeah. not commit every transaction to the blocks. But if there was no Lightning, will once the mm, Bitcoin gets more popular and we run out of subsidy, without Lightning, there will be just exchanges sending transactions to each other and people will just yeah, what's the point, then? not even have private yeah. keys. Yeah. No, I agree. I do think like light, things like Lightning need to succeed. And is there any other like second layer protocols that you're looking at, or uh, anything? On mm, well, uh, I'm. Do you have any thoughts on state chains or or Liquid? I th I think there is a room for those those protocols. I think I think Liquid uh, is a is a is a very cool idea. I'm. Uh, um, I hope it will be used more and more by the uh, exchanges and ca their customers. It, it targets. Uh, I'm just. I'm. I'm not sure uh, we're there yet. Like Lightning is can be used today. Liquid um, maybe will will get. It will get more popular once Bitcoin gets more popular. Yeah. Yeah. No. Because Lightning is more available to geeks, it feels like, right? You can mm -hmm. just 
go and start building on it. Mm-hmm. So how like I see like, but do you think we're like still extremely early, or do you feel like an urgency to build all this stuff? Because how so how long do you see Bitcoin? I know you don't like to think about the future. This mm-hmm. is funny. Like developers, like I had a uh, Fabian. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yar on last night and he was like oh, I don't like to think about the future either and it was like trying to get him to predict stuff he's like I don't know I don't like to talk about that but like if we do envision Bitcoin as a system that's around for many centuries if not millennia potentially like we're so early and uh, how do you how do you temper the amount of urgency with the amount of uh, care that should be taken with like reviewing the code as you upgrade the system right um, or build on top of it uh, if you will can you can you read? Yeah, in short, like, do you think there's like an urgency to build out these these le- second layers? And uh, I think so. I, I used to think that we actually built everything like, enough, and now we need to market it more. But then Lightning developers always approaching me and say, no, 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 <laughs> we should we should build more first. We should uh, like promise the security and show that it's actually robust. And then, and then we can start marketing it. No, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is, like, do you feel like humanity needs Bitcoin now or in the near-term future? Um, Bitcoin is used today. Yeah. Oh, I know. I use yes. it. But do you feel like the system needs to get to a point where everybody can use it right now for a reason? Like, do you think, are you worried about the traditional economy and the traditional financial system? Or do you just think Bitcoin's better and people should just use it because of that? Um, I think... I think Bitcoin is is better. Yeah, yeah. I think with I'm not sure humanity is gonna change much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Bitcoin today helps people, and that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but I think Bitcoin changes people, though. That's what I say a lot. Bitcoin changes your Bitcoin's gonna change you more than you change Bitcoin. Like uh, many people will scream about bigger blocks and stuff like that, <laughs> and whether or not we should add emissions right now, but you'll find that Bitcoin changes your temperament more than uh, your ability to sort of change change Bitcoin as a system. Yeah, we gotta we need more population because to to understand that phenomena. Because so far Bitcoin was more very nerdy, right? Yeah, it's like it gets more and more mainstream, and you gotta look at those people who were not into this anarchy and privacy. And now they're getting into it. Well, it's like things you had uh, last week. Samsung announced the S10 is going to have a Bitcoin wallet in it now. And just small things like that. People mm-hmm. get in their Samsung phone and be like, holy crap, there's a Bitcoin wallet. Like, should I have Bitcoin? Like, should I learn <laughs> about this? Um, I, I think, well, mm, I think it's, it's, it's definitely not bad. I would never keep my coins on the Samsung S10. It's just like for the, psycho- for the psychology of the users, they just see like, oh, Samsung's got Bitcoin on it now. Um, yeah, well, you know, there is this concept of smart money where you don't want every investor to invest in your startup, but you know, you want somebody who understands stuff to invest. Yeah. So I think it, in, in the same way, we probably, it's, it's not necessarily that those people who don't understand shit, but just see an app will, will be a good members of community because mm-hmm. if they if they're now th- if then they buy bsv or some other shitcoin then what's the point but so i think education first but if samsung makes them to go and read about bitcoin that's 
That's a good. Okay, yes. so you think there should be like education pushes with when you roll? That's why I liked Cash what Cash App announced that they were rolling out Bitcoin. First, they had that little book, "What is Bitcoin?" Yeah, that's what we try to do here at this podcast. That's why we're here talking. We're trying to educate people about the Bitcoin network. And so, how how would you uh, attempt to educate uh, somebody who has no knowledge of Bitcoin from scratch? What where would you point them to first? The white paper, uh, some other types of writings. Uh, Keeping in mind the, the the audience that you're that you're speaking to, it always depends on the background. Um, I I prefer to give a couple sentences description by myself. I always tell that about ten years ago, people decided that they want to be in control of their money, and that if you put your dollars under your mattress and forget about them for a year, in a year you lose. 20% in value in amount of goods you can pur purchase because of the, uh, I don't know, inflation. Yeah. yeah. So, and then people decided that they don't want everybody to be able to track their transactions and to charge them fees and to take part in this super inefficient banking system. And then after that, we can, we can discuss a bit. And then I can send them, depends on if they're technical, I can send them to the white paper. If they're more like non-technical, I can, I don't know, Andreas Antonopoulos or, <laughs> yeah. I'm you can always send the tales from the crypto if you, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, <for> sure. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. no, but it's, uh, that's a, like, it's a problem I've been thinking about for many years now. Like it, and that's the, the main crux of the problem is everybody has a different way, uh, different avenue through which they come to understand Bitcoin and trying to, to create one resource that, that uh, uh, sort of pertains to everybody is not easy in Bitcoin, right? Because mm -hmm. he, like a lot of people come to it from like an engineering perspective and I came to it from an economics perspective and I'm trying my best to learn mm -hmm. as much about the, the distributed system as possible. Um, but as you can tell, I'm... Uh, I need, I have a lot of catching up to do. No, um, I think you're doing quite well. Oh, yeah. thank you, sir. Um, nah, but it's, uh, it's fun to be a part of though, isn't it? Do you, do you like waking up and, and working on Bitcoin? Code oh yeah, every day? totally. I'm like, I, I'm like proud of what I'm doing because I can talk to my friends. So I did undergrad in like software engineering and it's always cool to be passionate about as opposite to just do what you're told to do and not being excited at all. So I'm always like, I'm grateful that I, I can do it. I can have fun. I can uh, contribute to a better world as I see it. I can do this cool research and technical contributions. And I, I'm like getting to know all the best people who quit Google and Microsoft and all that just to like, we have, uh, BitTorrent first developers in Bitcoin. We have Googlers, we have, I don't know, the best cryptographers would, which would make millions of dollars a year working for IBM or something. Really? I, I can talk to you in person, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll uh, sidebar that one. Yeah. <laughs> and we got a, yeah, and mm, yeah, I think this is, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that I'm, I'm here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here too. Uh, so, what do you do outside of Bitcoin? You were talking earlier. You're, we were talking earlier. You're, you're a big fan of music. Thinking about starting it in the podcast, but um, <laughs> like, what do you what do you do to get your mind off Bitcoin? Um, 
I, I watch a lot of movies, mostly independent stuff, often European or the Sundance program in, in the US. Uh, so basically, almost every, every night I watch something. Yeah. And I have like about thousand movies on my list i think really yeah well it's yeah it's it's more than average people but there are much more crazier guys than me do you have <laughs> a, a favorite director or or genre within uh, the indie it's it's maybe lars von trier it's a he's from denmark and he does some crazy stuff uh but um yeah it's it's the movies where you gotta think about something think about like sociological things or philosophical things or how humanity works in general and yeah so i'm i, I like to watch a movie and then spend an hour of just thinking what i what i just saw yeah so are you are you strict like no looking at your phone while you're watching a movie uh um i got a bit worse recently because mm -hmm. uh like i got more active on twitter and it's like distracting but I used to be, yes, I used to be like... Be careful. Twitter is addicting. Oh, yeah. I have a severe <laughs> addiction. My name is Marty and I'm addicted to Twitter. <laughs> so now it's like two times over two hours I'm going to watch. I got to see Twitter or something. Yeah. Which is still not bad. But no, movies <laughs> are a great escape, though. What, uh, um, would you ever think about making a movie or... Um, so I have very difficult relationship with art. I play guitar, but I never produced my own song or anything. So I'm, I'm very glad that we have people in the world who can make movies or make songs or write books. I'm not one of them. I always, I'm always like trying to make their life easier because I think the capital is misaligned and uh, like we, we should all work together as a humanity. So I'm always like, I don't know, if I have friends who are uh, art students, I'm always like buying drinks for them because <laughs> I feel like that's my way to make it the world a bit more even. Yeah. No, I love that. And you said there's like a, an imbalance of capital. And so do you think? Well, I, I just think that it's, it's, it's very hard um, to measure... So, for example, with movies, I always think that producing a movie is a compromise, like finding balance between a producer and a director, where producer is always money-driven and director is always art-driven. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you take some like Marvel movie or recent Star Wars, which is all about making money, the director just have no opinion there most of the time. And... You don't like you don't like Marvel coming out with twenty two movies in two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I think if Capital was a land better, then there were more independent directors and more really cool, valuable art would be produced. So, what do you uh, look for more in a movie? Like a good storyline, a good script, or like the cinematography and good shooting, uh, good lighting, and stuff like that. All stuff. I think. I think a good director usually takes care of the details. Right. So, so it's either that it's, it's usually in a, in commercial movies you gotta find something you like. You might like music, but in in really good stuff, it's like everything plays well together. What do you think is? Uh, an example of a perfect movie 
in your mind? Um, the Fountain by Darren Aronofsky. Mm-hmm. I think it's 2004 or something. It has like a perfect storyline. It has very good acting and music and uh, play and yeah, everything. Do you rewatch it a lot or? I watched it five times, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I usually don't rewatch stuff, but <laughs> this was special. Yeah. yeah. It's a special place in my heart. <laughs> what are you going to watch tonight? Uh, I'll see. I'm I'm catching up with some East European, like post-Soviet, because I, I always ignored it. And I recently found out there is like really good shit there, which is probably would not be well understood in by Americans today's age yeah yeah why why not um it's so one of the things I find very valuable in artists is feeling the time and feeling the surrounding and environment that's why me uh being raised there is like when somebody uses some slang word I always like yes this is like very precise and and Movies are, I'm always looking at the more wider and difficult concepts and feeling those is like, is very important. So f- for example, mm, it's, it's a bit not related. There is this uh, modern philosopher, Slavoj Žižek from Yugoslavia or something. Mm-hmm. And he's quite popular on YouTube and people always make memes of him because he speaks in a very funny way. But I think he's like, without memes, he's, he understands words so well that I always enjoy watching him and b- exactly because of that, because it feels like he just took what I have in my brain and put it all together like as a system. And I was like, yes, that's what I, I wanted to say. Yeah, being able to uh, illustrate the, the current condition of a given time. Yes, in a, in a very, with good analogies and yeah. yeah. No, it's it's not easy. And as somebody who writes every day, it's I mean, that's why I want to write something more long form, is so I can try and tap into some some of that zeitgeist, of the modern times, right? And I have ideas of writing like a a fiction book that's completely non like topical or analytic. <laughs> but I always love when people change background. I I used to have well, I still have a friend in Ukraine who used to be a like successful developer. And then he just decided that it's not his thing and he quit. And he's now earning like 10 times less than he used to, but he enjoys what he's doing. And I'm very proud of him. Nobody understands him but me. I'm like, yes, I, I'm glad that you're doing this. And I'm telling everybody that this is an example of how you should live life. You should do what you like. That's nah. the most important. I don't want to um, pat myself on the back here. But that's, uh, that's, I, uh, out of college, I worked at a at a something like akin to a hedge fund a very mm-hmm. specific type of hedge fund and i'd worked there for three years and uh, one day i was sitting in my queue i was like i can't take this anymore and I, I had to quit and um i didn't just show up one day or actually it's a funny story i thought i was gonna quit uh uh on june or i shouldn't dox myself here i almost just dox myself i thought i was gonna quit like uh in the middle of june and it was a few weeks before that and it was my birthday. Nobody said happy birthday to me. Oh. And I knew I was quitting in a couple of weeks to take this design boot camp. <laughs> and it was like, you know what? It's not worth it. The two weeks being here is not worth it. And nobody said happy birthday. So I went and quit like a, like a little diva. 
Um, but, uh, no, it's something that I, I would actually recommend too. like, I was, I love that job. I actually love the people I work with too. I, I mean, I didn't love that job. I, I did not like that job, but I love the people I work with and I learned a lot. It's hard. It's like a love hate relationship. Yeah. Like I learned, I love how much I learned and, and the people I work with, but did not see my future progressing through that hierarchical ladder. And, um, yeah, no, I took a big pay cut. I, I think it's stricter better to do what you actually like, and you'll just do better. Perhaps it will take a bit longer to succeed there. But, yeah, so that's why I'm always very supportive of people changing backgrounds, quitting school. It's all like, yeah, just just do it. You only have one life. We're only on this right. planet for for very... And it's, it goes fast. Like Yes, so I'm, I'm very happy that at this point I found my thing. I'm involved with Bitcoin and... I don't know where I'm going to be in, in five years, but so far it seems fun. Yeah. yeah. What would you uh, focus on if you weren't working on Bitcoin, do you think? You're asking what would be something else? Yeah. Oh, I have I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> You're so deep in it now, you can't even think. Yeah. I'm the same way. I don't well, like I, I can probably find a job in software security or something, but if I'm sure I'm sure you could. <laughs> but if you think about something completely different, then I, I don't know. I, I can write about movies. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you've seen enough to write about enough. Um, numbers, is like, it's not enough. But yeah, yeah, it's true. The content has to be good, right? You can't just watch them. Has to be good content. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you again for coming oh, yeah, through. Is there anything um, that you're working on that that you want to touch on before we wrap up here, or anything else in particular you want to touch on? I would probably encourage just the listeners that if you have an idea how to improve peer-to-peer -peer of Bitcoin, there is no magic in what we're doing. There is like no strict rules. If you think that your idea is is actually will make Bitcoin better. Just come and share and ask us, and we we can talk. And because I think there is a lot of room. So yeah, just just reach out, guys. If you have some something, and we gotta we gotta help you implement it. Because peer to peer doesn't require any forks usually. That's why it's much easier to implement your ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Don't be shy. Don't be uh, put put yourself out there, especially if you're you're in a in a position or somewhere you're not liking what you're doing and you're and you're thinking about contributing. You know, stick your neck out there. Greg Maxwell may yell at you, but you know what? You put yourself out there. You tried, uh, <laughs> and uh, you're gonna learn at the end of the day. Yes. And that's that's all. We're we're all learning together, and we're all building the system system together, and it's uh uh. I feel like I've met a kindred spirit here. Like I'm seeing somebody who's gotten to come work on the system and you, you feel invigorated and you look, uh, look like you're happy and, and pumped to be working on what you're oh, working yeah. on. Totally. And Gleb, I want to uh, thank you for doing what you're doing, helping Bitcoin because it helps all of us. And again, I truly believe it's one of the most important technologies in the world right now. And anybody working to strengthen that is uh, a okay in my book. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me over. We'll keep, making bitcoin better yeah maybe we'll do this again sometime too oh yeah um that's all we got this week Reeks. peace and love <laughs>